Welcome to A Slice of Orange. This is our election result episode. So we're going to be going over what happened on the June 7th, 2022 election uh, and kind of dive into those numbers. It's it's early. I'm recording on Wednesday, June 8th. So we only have one day uh, of tallies from all those late votes. There'll be more coming. The final numbers will be verified by July 15th. So I'll do a short epilogue to catch you up with that. But this is really the last episode of season two. We're going to talk about what happened, and then we're going to take a break for the summer, and uh, we'll come back ready to go for the November election. So let's get started. Let's find out what happened. So welcome to A Slice of Orange. We're going to go over the election results uh, for the June 2022 ballot. Um, caveat, these are not final numbers. The Registrar of Voters has until July 15th to turn in uh, final numbers as we count everything uh, and, and get some totals. But um, a lot of these races are pretty close. Um, and, and so we'll wait as the ballots come in. Um, we have had in Orange County in particular, a, a couple of ballots that have shifted. And in fact, even uh, a few that have changed the outcome. So we, we are aware that that could happen. Um, voter turnout was exceptionally low. Uh, that's not surprising, but it's always disappointing. We always hope that it'll be higher. Um, so historically, midterm elections are lower than presidential elections. And in, in California, we even have to do- dig a little deeper. This is not just a midterm election, but it's a governor running for re-election. Uh, and, and Californians like to re-elect their governors. Um, plus, we just had a recall election about this in September, and Newsom won easily. And uh, all, the, all those Republicans who uh, were, were in the recall hoping to get lucky uh, sat out this election cycle. And so Brian Dahl is the Republican who will likely lose in November, but will have the election in seat. So we really have to go back um, to, to 2014 to compare numbers when we're looking at, at, at a historical comparison when Jerry Brown ran for his second term. And so overall, that was uh, you know June 3rd, 2014, the final uh, a month out, 25% uh, voter turnout, 25.17%. So we're at 16. That'll definitely hit above 20 as we count and count and count all over the state. And uh, we'll see how, where, it, where it fits between 20 and 20. It may, it may be higher than 25. Who knows? But uh, it, it very likely will be lower than 25. But, but that's what we're really comparing it to. Um, you know, the last one-term governor the state of California had was Colbert Olson in 1942. Uh, and there's a whole host of reasons why he wasn't liked. And there were numerous recall efforts against him uh, before he finally lost his re-election campaign. But it just doesn't get exciting. Uh, you know, it's a overwhelmingly le- Democratic-leaning state. And so th- these folks who are running for re-election will likely win. And, and, and we'll go over those races or at least um, wh- where we stand with that. But let's actually, um, we'll, we'll come back to some voter demographic and, 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 and some trends that we're looking at. But let's cover the headlines of who won and, and who's ahead and who we're still looking at. So the one and done, uh, the Board of Education, uh, we got to start there because uh, we're, we're not coming back to this no matter what. Uh, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose and somebody's going to have the job. So Superintendent of Orange County Schools, Alma Harris, is in the lead. Um, as late votes uh, seem to be breaking for Republicans, that lead could evaporate. Um, we'll we'll have to check back, but he looks to be in a in a pretty healthy spot, um, and and so we'll we'll have to come back and, and see how that all works out. But um, we we will certainly see how that goes. But he you know was at sixty percent 
Um, on election night, day two, it's 54%. We'll see if that erodes any further. But the, the late votes are definitely breaking um, to Republicans. That's not surprising. We saw that as well in the in the um, September um, recall election, where the recall lost on election night by 58%. And by the time the last vote was counted, uh, that, that margin was down to just 51%. So um, we'll see um, how that all shakes out. But voter turnout is much lower um, in, in this election than it was in the 62 plus percent voter turnout of the recall election. It was really simply voted whether or not you wanted a recall and then you picked a uh, replacement ballot. So had very high voter turnout, simple, um, very efficient ballot. So uh, trustee area two, uh, the incumbent one and trustee, uh, trustee area four, Tim Shaw, who's sometimes the incumbent one and trustee area five, Lisa Sparks, the incumbent one. So uh, Martha Flora lost and Paulette Chafee lost and Shereen Smith lost. All of the incumbents won, and so they will hold those spots. Again, um, late uh, votes could change that, but they're pretty decisive victories. It's 57%. It's, uh, it, you know, it, it's pretty large margins. So um, even if it, it came down and Tim Shaw dropped below 50%, um, it, it, he would still win because he has more votes than Paulette Chafee, and it's almost impossible for her to catch up. You know, 30% of the vote isn't going to get you that there with late um, ballots that are breaking towards Republicans. So um, we're going to talk about why incumbents won that race. But let's go up to uh, the, the, the judges and, and look who won there. Um, I, again, what we predicted would happen is that all of those deputy district attorney ballot designations were going to help. And in fact, they did. So every single seat, and there were eight of them that had a deputy district attorney of Orange County on the ballot, won. So Claudia Alvarez won and Christopher Duff won, Sean Nelson, Aaron Beltran-Rowe, Raheem Batai, Eric Scarborough, Steve McGreevy, and uh, Israel Clostro all won. And so... Um, that's what we predicted would happen without lots of information and without uh, a lot of people doing some investigation and a few uh, you know, simple media searches. Um, and, and so that has come true. The, the, the one that we kind of knew was going to go to a runoff election is seat 30, where there were five. Um, there was no Orange County district uh, dep deputy district attorney in the race. And so there were five candidates, um, all with different ballot designations. And it's just in incredibly difficult to get 50% um, to avoid a runoff. And so Michelle Bell, uh, who we talked to on the podcast, the Orange County Superior Court Commissioner, will advance to November. Uh, and Peggy Huang, uh, the, the Deputy AG for the State of California and a City Councilwoman for the City of Yorba Linda, will both advance to November and the only um, judicial race on the ballot in the last uh, seat 22 is the only one that kind of looks like it could switch. Um, but, uh, we, you know, uh, Brahim Bataille is uh, over um, uh, 53% right now, 52.71. And so um, we'll see how that all shakes out. But he could go and advance um, to November uh, for a runoff election, but he's definitely still in lead. So that's what we're looking at. Up the ballot, we're starting at the very bottom of the ballot and working our way up. We see in the Orange County races, um, uh, all the incumbents won um, outright and there won't be any runoffs. So 
the three that were uncontested races easily won with 100% of the vote. There may be a couple of write-ins that reduce that, but 100% of the vote um, is pretty easy when you're the only one on the ballot. So Don Barnes will be re-elected as Orange County Sheriff Coroner. Um, uh, Hugh, uh, as Sherry Friedrich, uh, Friedrich Rich uh, is re-elected as the incumbent for the Treasury Tax Collector. Andrew Hamilton is new to Auditor Controller, uh, but but uh, was running unopposed, so that uh, reduces the difficulty of of winning that. And then the the three that were contested, Todd Spitzer, even though there were three other co- uh, contenders, um, easily won, and his numbers actually going up as the late ballots are counted. So currently at sixty four percent as I record this on Wednesday night. Uh, we'll see if that goes up even further. Um, but but definitely uh, an easy majority plus win that uh, avoids the runoff and Pete Harden conceded uh, today. Uh, Orange County Assessor Claude Parrish easily beat Rick Foster and Clerk uh, Recorder Hugh Wynn easily beat um, my perennial uh, uh, nemesis, uh, Steve Rocco, that just keeps getting votes uh, no matter what uh, I advise against that. So, um, but luckily not 109,000 votes like the last time he was on the ballot uh, may stick around the, the 20,000 mark that he's currently at, but um, we shall see what happens with that. So those are, are done, uh, no runoffs there. And then we've got a whole bunch of elections uh, that are going to be to continue. They were uh, partisan races that advanced to November no matter what, the congressional races, the state Senate races, the assembly races, but also um, ones that could have been done in June, but are going to be continued in November because nobody got 50% of the vote. So the Orange County Board of Supervisors is uh, the three races are going to runoff elections. And so we've got Doug Chafee and Sunny Park and Steve Vargas. Um, again, it's too close to call for uh, number two versus number three spot. And so we're waiting to see who the top two are on election night. It was Doug Chafee and Sunny Park with Sunny Park in the lead. Um, even though these are nonpartisan races, uh, the, the Sunny Park was endorsed by the Democratic Party. Doug Chafee, a Democrat, um, is the incumbent. And so uh, it may be a runoff between those two. Um, but Steve Vargas could uh, get enough votes, those procrastinators that waited until the last minute. Um, and, and, and you can vote on election day. That doesn't make you a procrastinator. But if you forgot to surrender your ballot, if you didn't take your ballot with you to a vote center so that you could vote in person, then we have to wait. We have to verify that you didn't vote twice. So that's one of the delays in counting all the ballots is, is people that didn't take their ballot with them when they wanted to vote in person at a vote center. So we have to wait and make sure that there's only one ballot that uh, ever appears. And we've got to verify and process and, and go through that. There's a signature match to make sure that either your driver's license or your social security card, some government entity that you've plugged into your voter ID um, that you don't have to show, but we have computer matching technology at the Orange County Register of Voters. So that takes a little while. If you've broken your arm and your signature doesn't look the same, then we give you a chance um, to cure your ballot, to to actually come in and verify uh, that. Otherwise, your vote is suspended until that is uh, resolved. So all of that takes a little while and there's processing going on, but uh, those votes will be tallied. um, And and so there are a couple of races where we're still kind of waiting to see. And that's one of them. So um, Steve Vargas may uh, make the top two, um, but Sunny Park is currently in, and remains in the lead, and T- Doug Chafee may um, lose uh, if the late votes uh, break for Republican voters. We shall see. 
Um, that kind of has a domino effect for Brea City Council because Steve Vargas is up for re-election to that seat and we're expecting him to run if he uh, is on the ballot for the runoff for the supervisor. Clearly, he uh, won't be filing paperwork to be a city councilman for Brea. So that may open up a spot. Uh, if he doesn't make the top two as these ballots are counted, then uh, he, he will likely run for re-election. Brea will uh, have him on the ballot. So one way or another, we expect to see Steve Vargas. We just don't know where he'll be. Um, the, the center of the county supervisor, second district, uh, again, a nonpartisan race, but we see two Democrats facing off. That's a solid Democratic uh, district. So uh, Vicente Sarmiento uh, and Kim Bernice Wynn, neither has been on the board of supervisors. They're uh, you know, nominally replacing Andrew Doe, although the district lines are different. And then down in District 5, uh, Katrina Foley got redistricted and removed into uh, this, this coastal and southern part of the county. Katrina Foley is the incumbent, but a lot of that area is new to her. Um, Pat Bates, who has been on the board supervisor before, before she went to Sacramento as a state legislator, is back on ballot. Uh, and so somewhat uh, an incumbent versus incumbent. They both have a high name recognition and clearly lots of voters know Pat Bates. She's been elected many, 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 many times. Um, and so she is back on the ballot and that will be a hotly contested race. All three of these are going to be hotly contested races with lots of money and lots of effort and lots of partisan uh, involvement on the Republican and Democratic side trying to get their candidates um, uh, uh, elected to that. So um, the top two for uh, for Congress and for state Senate and uh, state assembly are, uh, you know, emerging and most are, are pretty clear. Most have a Republican and a Democrat facing off. And, and so you can look at the Secretary of State's website. We'll put that in the show notes if you're interested in your particular district. I'm not going to go through every single districts, um, you know, Phil Chen was running uncontested. There may be a write-in uh, candidate that that emerges after all is said and done, but most of these are Republican versus Democratic uh, with new districts. Uh, and so we'll have to see how the voters look. Uh, Assembly District 73 is kind of an interesting one. It's two incumbents, one Republican, one um, Democrat. Cotty Petri Norris is uh, facing off against Steve Choi because they got drawn into the same district. Um, and then Assembly District 71, which is all the way over to Marietta and Temecula um, and, and the southern part of, of the county with Ladera Ranch and, um, and, and some of uh, Tribuco Canyon, that Assembly District 71 leans very Republican. And so there are two Republicans facing off there. So definitely a Republican will win. Um, and the rest will have to wait to November to see. So um, the, the Senate, same thing, we're sort of emerging with Republican and Democratic uh, challengers in each of those. Um, and so you can look at the Secretary of State to see who's in your district. Congressional races, uh, the, the same thing. We're waiting for number two and number three are fighting it out to who the Republican uh, who will face off against incumbent Lucrea for congressional districts at 46. Uh, to see who uh, will challenge him, but it's a fairly safe Democratic seat, and he's an incumbent with a lot of name recognition, so he'll probably easily win. But uh, you know, Young Kim is is going to face off uh, against Democrat Asif Mahmood, and down south in San Diego District, Mike Levin is going to face Brian Marriott. 
uh, Congressional District 47, Katie Porter in that new district against Scott Baugh, the Republican that emerged um, there among many Republicans trying to face off against Katie Porter, and Michelle Steele versus uh, Jay Chen. So that's kind of the, um, those districts. But again, you can look it up on the Secretary of State's website. Same thing for the, the California uh, you know, most of the Democrats easily won, and we're waiting for late ballots to break to decide between number two, number three, and sometimes number four. The, the, those three um, next uh, the categories are, are kind of bunched together with a lot of people coming up uh, with uh, possibly the magic number to get into the number two slot with most of these races pretty easily going to the Democrat because of voter registration. So, um, you know, to Brian Dolly is uh, going to run against, uh, Brian Dolly is going to run against Gavin Newsom uh, in his incumbent. And then uh, the, the, everybody else is running as an incumbent, even if they were appointed and they're still in the job, um, they're going to be running for that seat. Uh, the controller was open because Betty Yee, again, was termed out of office. So uh, the Democrat who emerged from the primary is Malia Cohen. Uh, and Lan He Chen, uh, the Republican, who got a lot of endorsements from um, pretty moderate folks saying that he would be a good choice um, to, to run there. So we shall see. Um, the only possible Democrat versus Democrat race statewide, um, uh, not statewide district, but uh, the Board of Equalization, which serves in, in Sacramento, Mike Schaefer represents Southern California in that district, uh, and, and David Dodson may be coming up number two in that race if he emerges uh, after all the votes are counted. But it also could be the Republican, Dennis Bilodeau, uh, who is uh, you know pretty close. They're bunched together. So, so those are the outcome of the elections, the winners and the losers of the elections, the advancement to November. But let's talk about voter turnout. So uh, on election night, it was uh, 16%. Uh, we shall see what it ends up when we count every ballot, when they're all verified and some counties are efficient and some counties drag their feet. Um, but but we don't want to compare it just to a, a gubernatorial race. You know, lots of times we say, you know, OK, here are the presidential races and here are the gubernatorial or midterm elections. And, and, and that's not good enough. Um, that's not actually comparing uh, the, the, the same kind of sample size. So what we want to do is actually go back into when was the last time governor was running for re-election? And that's 2014. And so we're not going to compare voter turnout overall to 2018 when Gavin Newsom was fighting it out in the primary with John Chung and uh, and 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 uh, the, the the others that were on the Democratic side trying to um, win that eventual spot, um, which drove up a lot of voter turnout as the Democrats were trying to get lots of voters out to the ballots. We got to go back to 2014 when it was Jerry Brown sitting in the incumbent seat running for re-election. And that voter turnout overall was relatively low. It was 25%. Um, whether or not our, our voter turnout is going to reach 25, I, I don't know, but it's certainly going to be more than 16 uh, you know, does it break 25%? I don't, know, but uh, I, I predict that it'll be, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30% where that lands uh, is uh, beyond my prediction powers. But but we'll see how it compares to that election, that re-election of a Democratic governor in that race. Um, voter turnout, that's kind of interesting. And I'll put a link in the show notes for the uh, PDI data, Paul Mitchell's uh, data, which kind of we obsessively, uh, you know, look at every single morning to see as the month goes on uh, to who's returning the ballots and who doesn't. And that helps inform the political parties who are doing grant out the vote efforts. 
um, how to knock on doors and who to call and who to bug and who to incessantly remind that you got to return your ballots and you have to vote. And we see that that, you know, worked. We saw that voter turnout among Democrats and Republicans is fundamentally higher than NPP and independents. So if you belong to the Green Party or we are NPP voter, which, you know, a third of the voters uh, in California are, uh, then you maybe weren't bugged. Maybe nobody, no mechanism, no party, nobody was calling you and reminding you to vote. And so voter turnout for uh, for, for those voters um, is relatively low, 15%. Uh, Democrats uh, got their folks to the polls at 23% and Republicans got 24%. So there was a lot of work in that get out of the vote effort. So if you were one of those people on the ground, if you were calling, if you were texting, if you were reminding people, if you were knocking on doors, well done you. Uh, you got people to the polls and and, and that has an impact. Um, even though uh, the, Orange County has a, a, a larger number of, of uh, all these numbers are Orange County, by the way, uh, even though Orange County has more Democrats than anybody else, uh, you know, it's relatively equal turnout. Uh, 40% of the electorate were Democrat and 39% were Republican. And then the rest of the smaller number is, is NPP or independent. So that those get out the vote efforts work um, to do that. Uh, when it comes to age, there's really distinct differences. Um, and even though um, the, the biggest age group of registered voters, not eligible voters, but registered voters in the state of California and Orange County are 18 to 34 years. More, more people fall into that group than 35 to 49, more than 50 to 64, and more than 65 uh, plus. So the, the largest demographic of group, group is 18 to 34. Now, the second largest group is 50 to, 50, uh, to 64, uh, uh, you know, only 2,000 uh, folks uh, divide those, but still huge differences in voter turnout. And, and that's what we really need to take away of what do we need to talk about? What do we really need public discourse to be? We got to look at turnout and um, voter engagement, uh, voter education, voter motivation, and how do we get the people who aren't coming out to the polls to come out to the polls? Because we know in California, there's no voter suppression. We're the opposite of voter suppression. We want a ballot in every hand. Um, we want to make it as easy as possible to vote. And we have done that. And if you come up with a way that there's somehow a barrier, California will, will clear the way. Um, however, voter turnout in, in this kind of low information election gives us some stark changes, some stark differences, some stark things to look at um, that, that kind of reveal what can sometimes get muddied with, with higher voter turnout. So first, let's look at age. Um, in Orange County and California, 49% of all voters were over the age of 65. Not that there are more registered voters over the age of 65, they're not, but they turned out to vote. And in, in, in Orange County, it was 42%. Um, California statewide, 38%. Again, these are preliminary numbers. We'll see what happens with all those late voters. But, but I know an awful lot of seniors who like to vote in person. It's the habit. It's what they do. It's their election day ritual. So that number may actually go up. But right now, in Orange County and California, one out of every two voters was over the age of 65. We should talk about that. Um, and because in California and Orange County, the demographic numbers follow age breakdowns so that, you know, in California statewide, uh, even though 
Latinos are a plurality of the state population with 40%, and whites are a smaller number, 36%. Among 65-year-olds and over, seniors are 72% white. So we really do have this age differential when it comes to ethnic breakdown by age that has a big impact when seniors make up one out of every two voters. And we see similar, slightly different numbers, you know, relatively small differences, but we'll go over it, which is 68% of the electorate in Orange County was white. And statewide, that number is 69%. So, you know, very, very small difference, but but we'll, you know, actually cover the numbers. We'll see how that changes as, as all the votes come in. But because the voters are older, they are also more white. Um, it, it, it's, you know, we, we, we don't see a lot of um, differential among voting uh, numbers when we actually look at ethnicity. It's driven by age, it's driven by education, it's driven by stability, it's driven by wealth, it's driven by these other factors that have to be cross-referenced. So we want to look at all of those factors, but right now we're looking at age and we're looking at ethnicity. And when we're talking about public education, when we're talking about public health, when we're talking about criminal justice, when we're talking about, you know, parks and recreation, um, you know, there's not a lot of senior citizens that are, are hounding city councils or the county board of supervisors for skate parks and, and you know, better recreation activities for teenagers. Um, So we do want to look at what are those policy preferences? What are those ideas that change with age, that are different by age, that are not being recognized, that are not being voiced, that are not being represented when the electorate looks like this? And then what do we do? Because it's not voter suppression. It's not that we're hounding youth out of the the ballot box. We're, We're handing them a ballot. Um, It's about information and it's about engagement and it's about motivation. So what do we do about that? How do we get young people to understand why these elections are important? And then teach them how to be informed. Where do they get research? How do they understand the ballot? How do they understand what a board of supervisors does? I, I mean, I was pretty politically aware and I didn't know we had a county board of supervisors until they went bankrupt when I was in college. Um, And then I really understood what was happening in Orange County. Uh, And I was reading a daily newspaper and I was following a lot of these stories. Um, So so we've got to have some public discourse. We've got to talk about how do we use my, you know, my default is to always talk about education. How do we get those 12th grade government civics classes to focus on local issues, to focus on scaffolding local municipal politics and getting people interested in what Tip O'Neill would say is all politics is local. Um, and to understand the importance, to understand where these national debates and ideas and concepts and policies actually come home to where you can make decisions about it in your local area. That if you want to talk about police brutality or criminal justice reform, it is your city council that hires your police chief. It is your county board of supervisors that makes decisions. It is your sheriff that is elected. And if you live in South County, the sheriff is your police. So you are electing the sheriff that runs your police department for Stanton, for your Belinda, for most of South County. 
Those are decisions that we should be talking about in 12th grade civics government classes. We've got to get a curriculum uh, to talk about that. You who are listening, who are running for school board, this is an issue. Civic engagement and civic education. And everybody should go look at what Anaheim Unified School District is doing. They've gotten awards. They've educated their teachers. We should be looking to them as a model. Uh, When I ask my students to raise their hand if they can name a city council member or school board member, it is inevitably only the students uh, at Fullerton College that have come from Anaheim School District, Anaheim High School, Cyprus, and um, Anaheim, and and, and the other high schools in that district. So how do we first change the curriculum that's already there? We're already requiring they take the class. Let's make it meaningful. Uh, And and then, you know, what, what is the civic engagement in those eighth grade classes where where they're studying government and third grade, where they actually study the local city. Um, Not that I think we prime them to vote in third grade, but I think we talk about honest history and how decisions are made and and, and all of those sorts of bigger concepts that we need to be educating. And and I don't want to leave this at the foot of uh, you know, a third grade teacher, an eighth grade teacher, or a 12th grade teacher to develop this curriculum. We've got to be helping them and we've got to be supporting them. Um, but, it, you know, if, you, if you're somebody who's a listener who uh, has an idea about how we can start to really inform civic engagement on a local level, um, I think that that is part, only part, of the solution of um, changing those voter turnout so that it's not one out of every two voters is over the age of 65. Because let's talk about what they did. Let's talk about how those folks voted. If one out of every two voters is over the age of 65, and and we see, uh, you know, 26% uh, are are in that next group of 50 to Um, 64-year-olds. Orange County, 39, um, sorry, 27%. So we're talking about, you know, three quarters of the voters are in that 50 to, to, to older group. And, and I, I'm there. I, I love people my age. Uh, I, I love seniors that are engaged and, and interested. However, um, three quarters of every voter being over the age of 50 means that a lot of them are voting on name recognition. A lot of them are voting on ballot designation. A lot of them didn't do their homework. They showed up for a test. They thought that they didn't need to study for it. And we see that in the results. We see that in every single judicial candidate that had the ballot designation of Deputy District Attorney of Orange County winning. We see that in Sean Nelson winning overwhelmingly because of name recognition. He was on the Board of Supervisors. Now, that doesn't mean nobody should be voting for Sean Nelson, but I think a lot of people who do a Google search and look at the media archives for some of the headlines of why they know that name might not want to actually support that candidate. And, you know, the same with Steve Rocco. Like, who who are the 20,000 people who are voting for Steve Rocco? Let's dig a little deeper into why you think you know that name. And it's just because of familiarity. Uh, You know, Todd Spitzer, absolutely. I'm not contesting uh, that, that many, many people wanted to vote for Todd Spitzer because he has been the kind of district attorney that they wanted and that they voted for four years ago to replace Tony Rakakis. That is not in dispute at all. Todd Spitzer is a masterful campaigner. He understands Orange County, but he's also been on the ballot of Orange County since 1992. So a lot of those voters, 50 and over, are voting on name recognition. A lot of those voters are 
familiar with Todd Spitzer. And I don't think that this election can be interpreted as a referendum on the last four years of Todd Spitzer as district attorney. I think most people aren't paying attention. I think most people aren't following. I think most people aren't reading a local newspaper. You know, subscription rates for the Orange County Register and the Los Angeles Times and the Voice of OC are low compared to, you know, 30 or 40 years ago uh, when some of these voters started paying attention to some of these candidates. So I think we need to really also not just say, how do we get young people to vote? How do we convince young people to vote? But also, how do we get the voters who are in the habit and well-trained to vote, yay, good, I'm happy, um, to be better voters, to be more informed voters? Uh, and, and how do we make sure that we have that kind of information? Um, and, and so those are the, the, the two big things I want us as a community, us as community leaders to really start thinking about is how do we engage young people and teach them how to be involved and motivated to vote in local elections, but also how do we get seniors, well-trained, loyal voters, high propensity voters that vote in every election to be better informed and better engaged as well. So um, that's our June election. Uh, again, we'll, we'll see what happens as, as the final votes come in. I'll do one last wrap up for season two when those are finalized and all of those races are, are that'll be a short one because we'll just be talking about what's not, um, uh, what's not sh- uh, finalized and if anything has changed. But um, until then, uh, we're going to take a summer break. Uh, my editing team is off for the summer. And so I'll be back with season three where we dive in to the November ballot. We talk to all of those city council candidates and school board candidates that are going to be running for November. Those are all one and done. Uh, So we got to pay attention. We have to be informed. It's hard to get information for those local races. A lot of them are districted. So you may not see school board races. You may not see city council races if you live in an area where it's an off year and you're not going to be voting until 2024. So we're going to go over all of that. um, When we start back up with season three in the fall. So uh, enjoy. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to A Slice of Orange. I have an incredible production team that makes this possible. So thank you to executive producer Aaron Wadka, the season two editing team uh, that made us all better. Alexandria Kim and Sydney Gimple and starting uh, for the end of season two and my season three uh, production crew, Jackson Henry. Thank you all. And thanks for listening.